You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. As promised a few weeks ago, this week I'm bringing you my conversation with Dr. Heather Hirsch. I had Heather on the show just over a year ago now talking about the basics of hormone therapy. And if you missed that one, definitely check it out. I'll link it in the show notes so you can listen back to it. And since that time, Heather has become a bit of a celebrity in the menopause space. She was recently invited onto the Oprah Daily to sit down with Oprah, Drew Barrymore, Maria Shriver, and Gail King to talk all things menopause to a massive mainstream audience. She's also been on live with Kelly and Mark, and she has about 140,000 followers on her informational TikTok channel. These days, she's also talking about her book that is out. It came out this summer, and it's called Unlock Your Menopause Type personalized treatments, the last word on hormones, and remedies that work. And I really enjoyed this one because it's really the only book that I've seen out there that attempts to address the reality that we all know is that menopause is not a monolith. Women experience it very differently and require unique care. So Heather categorizes the women she cares for into six basic types, premature, sudden, full throttle, mind-altering, seemingly never-ending, and silent. And she addresses those in separate sections in the book, providing detailed hormone therapy and other medication recommendations, along with lifestyle and dietary interventions. So of course, we get into all of that. And as I mentioned in my introduction in my conversation with Dr. Stephanie Falbion, Heather and I get into a whole discussion on hormone testing. And I really appreciated her openness to having this discussion because hormone testing is a very contentious issue. The Menopause Society does not recommend it as standard of care for prescribing hormone therapy. Many guests on my show have sort of said, no, it's it's not standard of care. It's not something we do. But you'll also find many functional medicine practitioners and others who swear by it. It gets pretty heated online. So I cracked open Heather's book and I saw... Yes, she talks about doing hormone testing and looking at levels in her book. So I straight up asked her why. And she really gave me one of the best answers I've heard, which I'll let you hear from her directly in the interview. But in short, she likes the data and women often want it. We also get into hormone therapy during perimenopause and why it's so hard for women who are literally often in the hardest part of all of this to get the care they need. Along with being the author of Unlock Your Menopause Type, Heather is a board certified in internal medicine and completed advanced fellowship training in women's health at the Cleveland Clinic. She was the founder of the Menopause and Midlife Clinic at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. And these days, she spends a lot of time in her private telemedicine practice helping women out in all stages of menopause at Heather Hirsch, MD. You can learn more about her, her practice, and her work at heatherhirschmd.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I love this one. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. All right, before we get to it, as always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Feisty Menopause. Sign up for my free weekly menopause blog at feistymenopause.com. While you're there, check out our Level Up membership where you can meet 
with menopause training experts each and every month. And thanks so much for all the great reviews that keep coming in. They help me keep getting great guests. Finally, before we get to it, very quick thanks to Prevenex for being with us really since the beginning and making such a difference in so many people's lives. I got another amazing review of Joint Health Plus. I get these all the time, but I give you the best of them. And this one is from Teresa, who says, before taking Joint Health Plus, my knees ached when descending steps, sitting down, etc. I was able to complete a 33-day backpacking trip with pain-free knees, having just started taking Joint Health Plus eight days before the trip. I'm a 65-year-old female. I now have a subscription for it. Me too, Teresa. Me too. And thanks, Prevenex. All right. Enough of me. Let's have a few words about those awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Heather, I am um, so excited to have you have you back. And as we were just talking about before I hit record, it feels like, I mean, we both sort of waded into these waters, you know, maybe not quite three years ago. And like I said, I feel like we were surfers getting on top of one of those giant waves that you see in Portugal. You know what I mean? Nazareth, whatever that wave is, it's like a hundred feet tall. And like, oh, I didn't know that's what was coming. But here we are. Here we are riding the waves. Yeah. So you have been very busy since we last talked. And I have to ask, what what was it really like? I mean, maybe you can't tell me really, but like, tell me as much as you can. What was it like sitting down with Oprah and Drew Barrymore and Maria Shriver and Gail King on the Oprah Daily? Like, that's a heady place to be. You're in rarefied air. Like, talk a bit about what that was like. I can absolutely talk about it because it was nothing but positive. Uh, first of all, you know, I got the call in February, February 2023, and how this worked out was one of the producers was trying to get a hold of my writer on Unlock Your Menopause Type, Stacy, Stacy Kalino. And so Stacy calls me or texts me, I can't remember, but she's like, some producer from you know, Oprah Daily wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And it all happened within the span of like an hour after that. So I get a hold of the producer and she says, 
you know, we're putting together this panel for Oprah's first live, um, live your life, live your best life series. I always say live your best life. I can't, if it's live the life you want or live your, live, you know, live your best. And, you know, would, would you, would you be available on this date for Miss Winfrey to interview you? And I about was said like, uh, uh, I, I think I'm let free. me check my calendar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, it was just an incredible experience, of course, so organized, so orchestrated. It was the first thing Oprah did live, um, since lockdown started, it was her first live event. And of that day, she was going to batch record a couple of things. And this was the very first thing that she did. That's wild. And we were all, you know, catching each other's vibes of just excitement. And, you know, all the producers on set kind of had this feeling of like, it feels like the Oprah show, like, you know, that ended maybe in the early 2000s. Just this idea of like being back on set, like live taping, live studio audience. It was so exciting and it was kind of secret, you know. And so she came down, she was wearing all blue and she like literally floated and she came over and squeezed my hand. And she was just like, thank you so much for all the hard work that you do. And thank you so much for all that you do. And I don't know what I said. I can't really remember. I mean, I was a little nervous. And then I got to meet Drew Barrymore and we're standing backstage and she looks at me and she's like, you seem like she, you know, Drew Barrymore is my favorite person on the planet and was before and now is more. And she's like, looks at me and she's like, you look like you're about 40. Like, why do you care about this? Mm. And I just said, you know, women are treated like shit after, after we have children, if we even choose to. And she was like, yeah. Like, just like how she would, you know? And then when we got on stage, I wasn't an ounce nervous. I really felt like I was talking to my patients. They were asking all the same questions that all of my patients ask, which is so funny because even as Oprah said, you can't outfox it, you can't outsmart it, this and that, they literally have the exact same questions that anyone listening to the show does, the exact same questions. And I find that in clinical practice too. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you are. doesn't matter what country you're born in. doesn't matter what doctors you have access to. Like everyone has these same questions. Like, is this safe? What am I supposed to do? What else can I do? How long can I use this? I thought this caused breast cancer. Like literally everyone has the same questions. And it, it, it kind of, you know, certainly now made room for more questions. I think even, even after that. Yeah, no, great point. And I, you know, I, I've been of two minds and I give, I give everybody grace, right. And that, and that includes the, the likes of Oprah and even from on high, you know, she published that piece. I'm not sure it was last year or the year before about the heart palpitations. Like I thought mm-hmm. it was going to die. It made a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of news. Yeah. And she was maybe 46 at the time. And the more jaded person who has spent a lot of time in publishing Part of me was like, well, if you had spoken then, how many, how far would we be? You know, because that was a while ago. Um, But I also know that, you know, even for powerful people, the powers that be are very strong and to not talk about that kind of stuff. But I was thinking even all of that said, if she couldn't get an answer at that time, my God, (laughs) I'm like. Yeah. And and it is very true. It is very true. She said that on stage, you know, I was having heart palpitations. And so everyone sent me to the cardiologist, literally even in the nineties, no doctor would have thought, Oh, I bet this is menopause. Maybe, maybe those very, very few, but it was so uh, unconnected that 
as we lose our sex hormones, our sex hormones, our entire body changes, our entire body feels it. Those things were not even yet connected. And we're still making those connections. It's 2023. It's probably two, two and a half decades later. Yeah, no, excellent point. Which brings us, I mean, you were on with your book right here. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. have a link to that in the show notes. Unlock your menopause type. And I I enjoyed this um, because it's not a homogenous experience for people. And we all kind of know that. And it was cool to see you sort of try to wrap your mind around like what what kind of types if you wanted to see like zero in on how your experience fits in one of these buckets. Like it was just, I thought it was a really interesting approach. So I, I would love to hear um, how you arrived at that and, you know, what inspired you to to take this particular take on the topic. I thank you. Cause that's a really important question and something that there's like no room for me to necessarily say so explicitly, like in the book, but when I went to write this menopause book, I was meeting with my literary agent at the time, um, who actually then I she became an editor and now I had a different literary agent. But she said, what is a different perspective you've got here? Mm. And, you know, at first I said, well, and interestingly, as you probably are keenly aware of, a plethora of books came out like since the concept of this idea in 2019, because books take forever. And so, you know, this was a concept I had end of 2019, 2020, beginning before the pandemic. And so she said, what is your unique take on this? Because not that there's a ton of books out there, but like how many different ways can you talk about menopause? How many different ways? And I was just like, but it's not all, but this, what I see, it's like the cisgender heteronormative relationship. It's like the menopause that occurs when you're 50, 51, and you've got some hot flashes and you've got some night sweats and they last two, three, four years. And, and, And that is a perfectly common and decently acceptable state of menopause to be confused about. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only one. And when I see patients, I treat everybody so differently. You can't cookie cutter this because everyone's so different. What if you had cancer? What if you're scared to death of cancer? You know, what if uh, you don't have your uterus anymore? What does that mean for you? What if you don't get your periods anymore because you have an IUD? What does that mean for you? What if you are like a lot of my patients who don't follow a typical pattern, who have severe depression? You may not know that this is menopause. And so anyways, as those talks came about, I was flying somewhere and I always say that you're your smartest when you're on a plane, something to do with like the gravitational force or something. And I just literally came up with these six types on a plane and now we have a book. And nobody's bugging you. You actually have just space to just think. (laughs) No one's bugging you. I know, except for the people with the cart hitting you in the elbow. But other than that, I've since upgraded not to first class, but comfort plus, comfort Mm. plus. That's where I go now. That's a good move. That is that is yeah. a good move. Yeah, pro tip, comfort plus. So we don't obviously, you know, people can go get the book. I encourage them to get the book. There's a lot in there that's not simply, even though that would be enough of a topic to take on talking about menopausal hormone therapy and the menopause types. There's It's very comprehensive lifestyle, all different plan A, plan B, you know, nutrition. So what, just in brief, what are those six types that you outline in the book? Yes. So the first is the premature menopause, which truly is a medical diagnosis. And the definition of premature menopause is menopause before age 40, whether it's surgical or oftentimes autoimmune. And then early menopause is between ages 40 and 45. And these women, menopause is so distinctly different. I mean, here, the gold standard of care 
is hormone therapy. Without it, your health is going to suffer. And there are so many women and doctors, quite frankly, who do not know that. And that is not okay. There, there are, there are, I cannot tell you how many patients come to me um, with premature and early menopause who were never treated. I, I have a that. patient, mm-hmm, I have a patient who, um, who, how should I say, because I'm trying to you know, keep her anonymous, but mm. she, she has access to the best doctors and the best medical care. Is it Oprah? And this happened to her. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. This happened to her. And, you know, she figured this out about seven years, you know, p- past menopause. And it's just like infuriated. And I'm like, I know. So not only that, but of course, you know, my young, my young patients are often in their twenties. And so I have a patient I'm treating right now. She's, she is her, she's a sophomore in college, right? Her girlfriends are all on birth control pills. She's over here taking her estrogen and her progesterone just so she can feel normal. But the biopsychosocial model of, of her health is now completely different. Her trajectory is completely different, right? She's going to think about egg freezing. Her friends are, you know, using condoms and spermicide and birth control. So it's totally different. And then sudden is really kind of where I kind of put the majority of my patients who usually have a cancer diagnosis. So you suddenly go into menopause because that chemo just blasts your ovarian tissue, you know, to the wall, basically, you know, really just puts that right out or, you know, surgery. If you need your ovaries removed for ovarian cancer or high risk breast cancer, um, and it really just kind of smacks you right dab in it. And oftentimes that sudden even premature or early, they actually often have some perimenopause in there. They they often don't realize it because they're so young. <clears throat> but sudden, you really don't even get a perimenopause. You like wake up one day, boom, in menopause, like without any warning, and usually for some other medical reason. And again, if you can't take HRT, I wanted patients to have a space to know like they're not doomed. We talk a lot about HRT and it's so funny, especially with you being in this space. I'm sure you get a lot of this dichotomous, like, yes, no, yes, everyone should oh, do boy. it. No, no one should do it. You know, and like, let's make room for everyone, right? I talk about HRT all the time only because there's a lot of myths and misconceptions, but not that that is just the one size everyone needs to fit into. So full throttle is really just what it sounds. Symptoms from head to toe, you know, every single thing under the book, hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, irritability, trouble sleeping, trouble going to the bathroom, trouble with sex, trouble with your hair, trouble with your I could go on and on, right? And then uh, mind-altering menopause type is so important to me because as a clinician, now I kind of, I guess I should toot my own horn, but I have been doing menopause, perimenopause for the last decade. And when I say perimenopause and menopause for the last decade, I mean only that. That's, that is exactly what I focus on day in and day out. I don't go deliver babies. I don't do pap smears. Well, I did. Um, you know, and yes, I'm, you know, certainly I'm talking to people about other health related things. I'm an internist by training, but I've been doing midlife and menopause for the last 10 years. And I constantly see women who come in after they've seen a psychiatrist, after they've been to the emergency room for and like pink slipped, saying like, I don't know why I'm seeing you, but I just feel like there's something else going on with me because this mood stuff happened at the same time as my period started to stop. And there is a clinical uh, correlation here with menopause and mood that not everyone experiences. And again, going back to what we opened with, even with Oprah and the heart palpitations, we're just now connecting, you know, diagnosis of mental health with menopause. It's so important. So I kind of wanted to bring light to that. 
seemingly never ending is just symptoms that go on and on and on and on. And either women are under the umbrella of there's some biases there. They don't want to take HRT. They still think HRT is dangerous. Their doctors won't talk to them. I see this a lot, particularly if you're in, if you're listening to the show and you're in your early sixties, you were the decade of women who went through menopause, maybe 12, 13 years ago when it was just terrible for you because HRT was just the devil at that point. Yeah. And so now you're kind of out of that 10 year window. So you're just like, ah, what do I do? I actually literally had a patient like that this week and then silent, which, um, and I'll come up for air then, which is, you know, the fact that, and that's why I, I'm so proud of this book, right? Because, and I think you should read all of them because you probably have a friend who falls into one. The fact that even if you never have a symptom, you're that one friend that just like, oh, I never get a hot flash. Your body completely changes. Your bones change. Your brain changes. Your heart changes. Your pelvic floor. And it's not to say again, that there's one size. It's just that it still means her body changes. So what does that mean for your health going forward? Right. A hundred percent. You still need to get a bone scan, make sure your heart health is well and all of that stuff. I mean, and you give that example in the book of that woman who ends up osteoporotic without, yes. without knowing it because she doesn't have all these, but, but there, you know, that is still a, they, they call it that black diamond of bone loss after, you know, menopause. And if you have it in your family, for sure, you know, that even if you've never had a symptom, it's really something that you should stay aware of and on top of. Yeah. I mean, I also hear people say like, I didn't go through menopause as if menopause is, <laughs> um, which is just, it puts a smile on my face because it, it the words are confusing even yeah. of themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, let's say even they're 65, like clearly they don't have periods anymore, but the, she'll be like, oh, I never really went through menopause. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and And that's really the example there. Um, and certainly I don't see as many of those patients clearly in my clinic, but I know they are out there. Yeah. And it's, I, I that's why I kind of, I, I, I like the terminology menopause transition because it, I think it just really describes it. You know, I mean, it's perimenopause is the technical term, but everyone's like, I mean, it's, it's, it just hasn't landed and people don't understand it as well as this, this transition that can last years and it takes you somewhere else. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Which is what also what I like about it. Like when you go through a transition, there is something else on the other side and you are not the same as you were on the, you know, the start of the thing, you know? So I like that language because no matter what type or duration, you are something else on the other side of that. So I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, you, you do talk a lot about hormone therapy. You know, your TikTok is very informative. I, I will put a link to that in the show notes too on, on hormone therapy. And is that your first uh, conversation for most of these types? Well, this is a good question because it really depends. I really have sat back and watched the landscape and you do sort of see this dichotomy and you mm -hmm. either, you, you see a lot of people, whether they're doctors or patients or they're lay women, but they think they're clinicians, whatever, you know, everyone needs to be on HRT, you know, or nobody needs to be on. No, this is a natural product. HRT is going to kill you. Blah, 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 blah. It's so bad for you. Look what it did to me. And then you've certainly got some people that are like, everyone needs to be HRT. We need to put it in the mail. We need to put it in the water. You saw it even in like the New York times. It was like, you know, one of the clinicians was like, well, HRT should be in the water. Yeah. And so that's heavy because truly after seeing thousands of people 
um, and treating thousands of people, you know, first and foremost, a lot of people do see me, of course, because they do want to talk about HRT. So there is some selection bias there, right? So, you know, gosh, back when I was just starting out, like 2016, when I was at Ohio State, people would come to me with for menopause with like totally a blank slate. And and now, of course, I have a private telemedicine practice. People find me on social media. So most of the time they want to talk about HRT. So there is sort of now a selection bias, what, what people want to come to talk Fair. to me about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I prescribe HRT all the time to so many patients, to a majority of my patients. But again, this, as the years have gone on, there's more selection bias there, certainly. But I think the reason I talk about HRT so much isn't to say that you're doomed without it or that it's the only option. But I want women to know that, one, they should have the ability to be fully counseled about HRT before making a full decision. Because mm-hmm. I remember giving a presentation a couple years ago, Grand Rounds, and this doctor stood up at the back after I was talking about, I usually do menopause and then HRT and the safety of HRT. And again, I always make that a big chunk of it, not because that's the only thing, but because that's what you don't know enough about. So I need to retrain you, retrain you. And he stood up and he said, you know, that was good, but women don't want HRT. And I said, I thought to myself and I said, no, women, women don't actually really have all the facts to make a full decision. And they may think that because they're like, oh, well, I don't want HRT because, you know, I know it's dangerous. And then the doctor is like, you know, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, that's not, that's not like a full conversation. That's not her making a fully educated, informed decision. And then I'll take it a step farther with my patients. And they'll come to me sometimes like still a little bit on the fence. And, you know, I'll even go so far as to say, look, I always tell my patients this. I'll say, let's think about this as a trial of HRT. Not that Mm -hmm. you're going on HRT. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Because, and we try it for six weeks. And I say, look, I promise you nothing will happen in six weeks. Oh my gosh, I promise, you know? And we can take it right off. I know these medications backwards, inside. I could do this sleep at this point. And sometimes I'd even have to go through that where they kind of get this body feedback of like, they'll come back and be like, oh my God, I literally got the best sleep of my life. Like I've never felt like this before. Um, Or I remember feeling like this, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and every once in a while, I'll get a patient who is like, I, I have a patient who we're working with every dose we try makes her so nauseous. And so I'm like, you know, let's think about our other options here. And she's at that point where she's like, yeah, 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 let's try our other options. Right. And so I think I'm totally lost in your original question because gosh, I can talk a lot about this topic, but I think, you know, we see this dichotomy a lot online and I like to educate patients specifically about HRT and then, you know, so that they feel more informed because I get DMs all the time from people that are like, because of your stuff, I talked to my doctor about HRT and I got the patch and I feel so much better. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I get these all the time. Um, but I also do it because there's a lot of garbage out there. Oh, yeah. There's dangerous garbage. And, you know, I talk about pellets and, you know, unregulated stuff because I am a firm believer when you use HRT, it, you, safety comes first, safety and efficacy, and you want medications that are FDA approved. But it's funny, you know, during the pandemic, we started to mistrust the FDA. We, You know, there's boiling mistrust of clinicians and doctors who already look at you Google-eyed when you ask about perimenopause. <laughs> But I also spend a lot of time teaching, I think, about the dangerous compounds that are out there to try and make sure people don't go towards that because that is a huge profitable business 
that is probably doing better than FDA approved HRT. And of course, then to kind of just summarize this, like if you have read my book, you know, I talk all about each plan. I give you a non hormonal option. And then the last part of the book is all like how to DIY and do things at home and use your lifestyle, how to exercise, what foods to eat. So I really do incorporate a holistic approach, but you know, on my social media persona, you know, you see me talk a lot about HRT because that's just where, like that doctor said, well, women don't want it. I'm like, well, women, they're not given, they're not given the manual to make a, a truly informed decision and they haven't ever gotten it. And that's kind of what I, you know what, I'm having an aha moment. I think that's what I wanted to do with this book. Yeah, no. And, and I think you do that really, really well. And I don't, um, if I had any notion that, that you were all HRT in the water and everybody that we wouldn't be having a, honestly, I just wouldn't, we wouldn't be having a conversation because I'm just not interested in that because that it's not real. You know, it, yeah, this, this is, is a, not one size fits all. It's just, yeah, not. it's just, yeah, not. it's not, it's not, it's not at all. And I think, I mean, I, and I've been super transparent about this on like every time I talk about this is I am not on any hormone therapy and in that, that conversation has caused me like, and I'm not exaggerating, Heather, to say every day going, should I? I mean, I feel good. Everything is good. My training, but I'm still just like, my God, like, what am I doing myself this giant disservice? And it's, it's, and I'm not alone. It's creating this anxiety and women who otherwise feel good and are in good health. Yeah, it is. There's this dichotomy of one's right and one's wrong. And yeah. And I saw it was interesting. Uh, the British Medical Journal came out today with what was such a nice piece. It was it, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out because it it does what I wish. And having come from the media, I know why they don't. Why what I wish all the presentation and headlines would do is really break it down. It's like because when you hear, oh, it's good for your heart, it'll protect your heart. I'm like, oh, I want to protect my heart. But then when you see, it's like you know, six less cases of something per thousand women. I'm like, okay, like, yes, it's protective, but it's not like it's going to put a shield around my heart. And I may never, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I mean, I like that conversation because it's not hurting you. I mean, which is the, which is what the message has been, you know, it's like, this is going to cause all these diseases, but it's putting all of it in perspective in a way that is like, oh, exhale, you know, like I, this is, I'm having this like huge aha moment too of like how how confusing that must be for women. It's almost like sometimes the more information, you know, people are spewing, me included, like the more confused you feel. I'm literally thinking about I'm getting you, that from people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thinking like, wait, Dr. Hirsch is saying it's good for my heart and my bones and like, <laughs> I'm going to turn to dust and I'm going to have a heart attack on this ride. I better like, yeah. I better call her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a really fascinating conundrum of like, wow, not only have we flipped the, t- not only have the, you know, tables been flipped a little bit, but almost like too far sighted sometimes. And, you know, I think this is like great. And we're having this like real time. I'm kind of coming to this real time here is like, I can see one of the things we also talked about before we hit record was how much more sophisticated the questions are getting that women are asking me. You know, it used to be 
doesn't HRT cause breast cancer? Now it's like, well, isn't this formulation of progesterone less likely to cause breast cancer than this? And so should I just take my uterus out so I don't have to take any and then I won't get breast cancer? And I'm like, wow, Wow. you know, these are, these are, (laughs) yeah, these are very high, like level questions. And it's like, it's, there's something happening here. People are really absorbing these words and really thinking about them. And I think what it probably boils down to is this is why it's so important to have a one-on-one conversation with a knowledgeable doctor, but therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. How many, how many I have calculating for, yeah. So, so I've got some cool things that I'm working on. I've got some cool things I'm working on, but there is 63.77 million women in the United States between ages 35 and 64. And if each woman had one 30-minute visit with a doctor about midlife and menopause, it's about 2 billion minutes of healthcare time. The math isn't math for everyone to have an individual conversation and not even 2 billion minutes, but with about a thousand NAMS certified doctors in the United States. Not to say that a thousand means that there's not doctors who aren't NAMS certified who could do this, but at least gives you a ballpark, okay, compared to the hundreds of thousands of cardiologists we might have. And that's, you know, I had this conversation with Dr. Stephanie Fabian a couple of weeks ago, who also just has a book out. And she, we we were talking very much a similar vein and said, we've got to get the general practitioners and the family doctor. I mean, it has to come at that level too, right? They need to be educated. So we have just more on the boots on the ground who are knowledgeable in this. And I don't know if you just saw that report that came out at the Menopause Society, formerly NAMS. Um, it's still only like 30% of residents in OB-GYN had menopause lectures. Did you see that? I mean, it's like, I'm like, really? Are we still, is that still where we are? That's it's still where we are. It's it's no different. And and but when you say 30 or 35% have lectures, I don't think that means they're clinically ready. <laughs> Right, to clinically, <laughs> individually see patients with complex questions and problems. Yeah, I've been doing this for a decade, you know. So now I could sit with you, and I'm like, oh man, I want to have a, I want to have, I want to have a, uh, uh, what's it called, um, office visit with you. Like, man, there's so much I could talk to you about, and you of all people are so freaking knowledgeable, right? So it's it's just crazy. So. There are there are some strategies. I think about this all the time. I've I've actually been working really hard on the scenes behind some other important things here because it really is. It's really a public health issue. At the end of the day, I mean, it sounds grim to say, but you know, gosh, I love podcasting. It just takes us in these directions that you know. Here we are. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support 
and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. I appreciate, you know, you stepping into this space at, uh, you know, at in a, as a younger practitioner, you know, because mm-hmm. you didn't have to hit you didn't have to go through that transition yourself to recognize the importance of addressing the transition. Yeah. You know, I kind of tell the story about how I did a year of OBGYN, never heard the word menopause muttered, decided that I actually really loved helping women make complex decisions. And so I switched to internal medicine. And in my seemingly top-notch internal medicine residency, I think, you know, we talked about menopause again in like a one or maybe two hour lectures. And then I did fellowship training at Cleveland Clinic in 2014. And my mentor, Dr. Thacker, only saw patients for midlife, menopause, perimenopause. And I was just like, what is this? It was literally like, it was behind like a paywall and all of my training, even a self-proclaimed, like I was a dual women's studies major and biology major. I did a whole thesis project at Syracuse University on how the human genome project could precipitate racism. Like I didn't even know, <laughs> I, I kid you not, I'll find it. I, love it. I didn't even know that like late reproductive care, you know, was a thing. And not only is it not a thing, it is deeply integrated into chronic health. It is deeply integrated until into society. And I think what's so fascinating about it is as we've already kind of touched on without knowing there is like, you know, medical things, scientific, political, cultural, social, there's so many aspects here that once I, and then once I started helping people through it, it was just an addictive, it's just addictive because it never ceases to amaze me. It never stops to be fun. 
I really love the challenge of helping women individually figure out what they need. Like everyone needs absolutely different things. And so, you know, a lot of time when people come to me, they'll sometimes are oftentimes are coming for like second opinions. And it's so much fun because I'm like, well, let's take that cookie cutter thing. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like when the, they like show their, um, what's it called? Like their uh, homes on like TikTok and they're like, what's it called? They're just like consumer grade. And then they like DIY it. And it's like this gorgeous thing. Like that's what I feel like I get to do. Anyways, enough about that. That's awesome. I, w- I would like to actually move from this, which I have um, really, really enjoyed this, ju- this like <laughs> mile high conversation we're having about all this and get a little granular about some of the things that I have been noticing and wondering about specifically in the area of um, hormone therapy as yeah. it, you know, because in my world, a lot of people are very interested, whether or not they want to try it, they are interested. They want to understand it. They want to know there are a lot of people using it. Um, in in ways that I that I make me nervous and in ways that I think are amazing. But you know, we have more than 25,000 women and you know, the complimentary group that goes with this podcast, and as well as some of our other we've got a couple thousand here and there. Um, One of the things I hear that I don't really know how to address or what's behind it is you'll hear a woman who says, and when we were on the show before, and I'll put that in the link too, you know, you said it does take a bit to dial it in, right? So you'll have to take it and then maybe in three months adjust it. And but they'll they'll go through that, they'll get it dialed in, but then maybe a year or two, something will bubble up, their their they'll get hot flashes again, or their symptoms, you know, they they notice that things seem to be returning or it's not working as it was. Um, what is is that something you see and what is going on there? Yeah. So, you know, you really kind of typified it quite nicely is that, well, actually there are some things that depend. It it really does depend on your status of when you start HRT. So if you start HRT in perimenopause, which is wildly controversial, most of the questions that I get are like, my doctor won't, right. My doctor won't prescribe menopausal. So I'll say MHT or HRT or HT. I say them all interchangeably, but we're talking about postmenopausal doses while you're still having periods. And gotcha. that's a very volatile and tumultuous time. So even once I get my patients stable there, it is so likely it will change. Yeah. And your perimenopausal to menopausal status really makes a difference in how often you need to tweak it. And there's actually gotcha. this beautiful graph that no one needs to look at. But there's actually like you can break perimenopause and menopause down each into three different segments, like, you know, early, middle, late, early, middle, late. Yep. And so if you just kind of think about it like that, like six levels, it's it's most likely. But again, because everyone's so individualized that if you start it late menopause, like late postmenopause. So let's say I have a patient three years since her last period. We start her on a combination it's likely it's not going to change very much. It may, it still might. And and it may be because um, all of a sudden she's absorbing the medicine faster. She's metabolizing it faster. Her body's a little bit not tolerant to it because that makes you feel like everyone's going to grow tolerance. And that's not true. You know, the majority of my patients who start in late menopause actually will just kind of hang out at a specific dose, maybe a little bit up or a little bit down for decades if they want. If you think about like, early perimenopause, which for some of my patients I see, this is really complex. 
they're still getting periods. They might even be pretty regular. And they'll say to me, things to me like, well, they're starting to get darker in color. There's a lot more clots. I'm starting to get these hot flashes like the week before. I can't sleep. And we'll start MHT, maybe like a little bit of estrogen the week before her period. I'm kind of just throwing examples out there. But that's going to change through each of those six yeah. different pieces because those hormones are going to fluctuate and maybe eventually fall. She might need lower doses or we need to add progesterone at some time. And so the way I kind of think about it is a very eloquent question and it's not always exactly the same, but if you almost think of like this being six different stages, mm -hmm. there's more likelihood that you're going to need to tweak it the earlier that you start. And that kind of makes sense because of the volatility of hormones. Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And this, and I, and I, I want to circle back and talk about that controversial part about hormone therapy during perimenopause. <laughs> perimenopause yeah. Um, yeah. Would you call and that's why I think hormone therapy is just a better bucket because would you call yeah. or hormonal contraceptives hormone therapy? Yes. Because a yes, because a yes. lot of women are offered that because they also actually need contraceptive, you know, yes. and some hormones. So they, but then they yeah. get really mad on the site. They're like, <laughs> my doctor wants to give me birth control. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to give you hormones, you know? So yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, you know, the controversy here is it's really quite interesting. And I have to say, you know, truly, like, I I really want to thank my mentor, Dr. Thacker, who taught me how to do this, because one of the biggest things here is clinical experience. And I have this course, I actually teach doctors, and I, I do it in terms of complexity. So I always actually do perimenopause last, because it's just like you said, you couldn't have set this up better. You know, perimenopause is so complex. And so, um, you know, hormone therapy to me just means that we're giving you either estrogen or progesterone in some concentration, in some formulation. It is, it's a huge, broad therapy. Yeah. And so people are given birth control pills a lot. And there are really kind of a couple of big reasons. One, contraception. Two, their doctors don't know how to use postmenopausal HRT in perimenopause. And because they don't know how to, they literally don't either don't even think about it or just don't offer it. So, you know, I have so many patients come to me like, and this is a question I get all the time. My doctor won't give me postmenopausal HRT. And I'm like, I know it's not enough to say your doctor doesn't know how to do that. I think that's kind of obvious, but it's also a huge part of the problem. Like doctors will say to people, I don't believe in that. You can't do that. These are, these are not, these are literally not true. So it's it, it's funny because like the onus is then on the patient, on the customer, on the consumer, on the laywoman to like basically figure this out on their own and then crowdsource. If you kind of want to know, you know, my pro tip here is if if anyone's really interested in this, yes, you can absolutely do postmenopausal HRT while you're still cycling. You know, if you if if the if pregnancy is absolutely unacceptable, um, then I would consider placing an IUD because then you can use your postmenopausal HRT and yep. never have to worry about an unintended pregnancy. Do people get pregnant in perimenopause? Yes, girls. Yes. <laughs> yes it's always that oops, baby, you know, um, and it happens a lot. And also you start to ovulate really, really different times. And so <laughs> trust me, not me personally, but trust me. Oh my gosh. Yes, you can. So, you know, some patients will say like, honestly, if that's God's plan, that's God's plan. Okay. We've had that talk. Let's move yep. on. Right. Yep. If you want to use testosterone in your perimenopause, you have to consider contraception because that could harm a developing fetus. So that's one thing, you know, I'll pretty much lay the line down there. 
And then really not to take too long on this because we could have a whole show just on this, but birth control pills are, especially in perimenopause, usually not my first choice because they can lower your free testosterone. So any testosterone that you're making at all, it's going to pack man, just go, you know, eat it right up and can cause therefore also a lot of vaginal dryness and atrophy. Mm-hmm. It can really almost, what's the word I want to say? You know, like accelerate, accelerate, yeah. accelerate it. Because again, it's lowering the androgens, the vaginal tissue, the vulva, the labia, the clitoris, so rich in androgens and estrogen. So it can really kind of t- totally plummet your libido. It can yeah. cause a lot of vaginal dryness. Not to say that again, I also see, you know, on Instagram too, specifically like breast control pills are the devil. I don't believe any of that either. Like, let's, let's just be honest. Like these are, none of these things are like... Yeah, they all serve a purpose and there is individualism and individual discussions and individual reasons for each of these things. And we should be freaking happy that we have them. Amen. No, that would thank you for that. That was a, that was a perfect, um, perfect explanation of all of that. And I and I appreciate it. Another area that I really, really want to talk about is blood tests, hormone levels, Um as you may or may not have heard, you probably haven't because we're talking before this has come out, but I just talked to Dr. Stephanie Thalvion a couple of weeks ago, The New Rules of Menopause is her new book. And, you know, we had this discussion regarding blood testing, urine testing, hormone levels, and the the people that I have had on this show, you know, endocrinologists and other hormone experts and, and menopause experts have said, there's no reason to test because the levels are so erratic and we're not aiming for predetermined levels of hormones in the blood. And this echoes some of the literature I've read. And I literally, after I got off that call with her, I picked up your book. I'm like, oh, I should get ready for the interview with Heather. (laughs) And I see that you have Uh specific blood estrogen levels that you recommend from 40 to 120 picograms per milliliter, depending on the type. And I thought, I have such respect for you. And I've seen you stand on the stage and defend positions that other people are like, I'm not sure that we agree with that. And so I'm like, I have to ask her this. Please explain yeah. this. What a good question. How do your followers feel in your group? Or how do you feel when someone's like, oh no, no, you don't you don't need to test. You don't need to test those. I ask why, you know, and and then if I get an answer that makes sense to me, I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, I I I can and I'm not a doctor and I'm like, I studied a lot of science, but, you know, obviously I default to people who who have degrees and all of this stuff. But when I have on like Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, who's a double board certified endocrinologist, and she talks about, well, you know, the tish- what's in the blood doesn't really tell you what's in the tissues and there's not good science behind levels and symptomology I, you know, I go, that makes sense to me too, because the receptors are such a big part of this equation, you know? So I don't know. You know, I have to say, it's a great question. Um, And truth be told, I think a lot of women really like to know. I think they do. Like they want to know the feedback. They want to see the change. They want to see where should it be. Now, truth be told, levels of hormones aren't that useful. They're not actually, they're not always clinically helpful. Okay. So I will tell you kind of how I run this. I will kind of tell you what I do. Okay. One, usually when I see my patients back, I'll kind of say, I'm shooting for you to feel 70 to 80% better. Like, how do you feel? 
And sometimes I'll be like 50%, 60%. And we're like, okay, it's pretty close. And so I'm like, well, do I need to increase your estrogen? Do I need to add something else? Like I kind of want more, a little bit more data here, right? So I'm like, let's grab your estrogen level. Let's see where it's at. Sometimes they'll come back and they'll say, I feel 10% better. And I'll be like, huh, you're on a really good dose. Like what is going on here? Like I slept you on the highest dose patch, right? And I'll check the level and it's like 10 and they're telling me they don't feel good and they're clearly not absorbing it. So I'm like, there you go. There's a match. So if a patient comes back and she's like, I'm not bleeding, Heather, not having any side effects like breast tenderness, bleeding, I feel 80% better. I don't need to check her labs. But if she goes, can we check my labs? Of course, let's check your labs. And I always do this thing where I say, look, you know, I always kind of preface like, where should your, I say, before people ask for labs, I explain what labs maybe mean. And I'll say, well, here's what we know. Cause all these, you know, clinicians are, they're right. The physiology, th- those things are still true, but clinical practice for doctors who see patients day in and day out, who want to know about their body for me to just say like, nah, it, 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 it doesn't feel good for the patient, you know? And so I can take that next step and explain to them even a bit further, right? So some of my patients will say like, again, all individualized. So they'll say like, I'll like, you know, I feel great. I, I'll say, okay. And they don't even bring up their labs. They don't mention it. Well, off to the races. We're good. Sometimes my patients feel great. And they'll say, can I check my estrogen? This, I always want to say, I know, sorry, it's circling around it. I'll say, well, where should your estrogen be? Okay. You know, postmenopausally, it's less than 20. And when you were cycling between 50 and 500, and it should be around 40 to 70. Now, if your level comes back at 36, you know, Nancy, and you feel 80% better on this day, should we increase it? Nope. This is just to kind of see what your body is, what you, you know, what we're seeing in your blood levels. If it comes back at 200, should we decrease it? Probably like, I don't know, maybe we could get down a little bit lower to the dose and you'll still feel it's good. And so it's such a good question because in clinical practice, I find that a lot of women really are so curious and I'm never going to withhold or gatekeep that information from them. And I am, if we are going to do labs, explain it to them so they really understand this might be more useful over time, like if they're in perimenopause, right? So yes, your estrogen level is volatile, but I, I just see so many women who've been gaslit for so long, running around seeing so many different doctors. And for me to get your blood drawn and explain it to you, it's such a simple thing that like helps us build trust with each other. So for me, I think there's some psychological reasons behind helping people uh, getting their labs, but also I always make sure to clinically explain them for people. But I do think labs are, so, so that's kind of where I kind of fall. I feel as though I'm a really good clinician. If all the labs were broken, I could figure this out. You know, I, I know when it's too high, there's the poor man's test, bleeding, breast tenderness. I can tell when it's too low, you don't feel better. But it's nice to give sometimes people and use that as basically, we always call that more data in my clinic. Like we're just like more data, you know, your clinical, how you feel like 80% of it, your labs are 20% of it. Not everybody wants labs. Some of my patients are too busy. They don't like needles. They don't care. Bah, bah, bah. We don't really do them unless again, I'm, I, I will do labs for testosterone. Always, always, always. Yeah, yeah. That's where I draw the line. Everybody says the same thing. Everyone yeah. says that. Yeah. You know, but so I think that there's more nuances here. And I think that it, I think that patients have the right to really understand why, but also if they really do want to see how their own body is 
reacting to a medication that they've gone to the pharmacy and they've picked up and they're putting in their body every day. Fine, let's do it. Oh, hundred percent. That that makes. Thank you for that, and thank you for being open for that question. Um, I'm I'm curious as a follow up if the ranges that you have and you don't have them under all of them, but you have them under some of them, um, that you like to see. It, you know, whatever it is, like forty to seventy picograms per you know milliliter or whatever. Are those yeah. ranges that you have just seen clinically that are best? You know, they just seem to to jive best for those types. Is that where those numbers came from? Yeah. So essentially, this is a great question. I'm like, where do these numbers come from? Yeah. They they really come from, you know, when I did, again, back to my fellowship training, I always kind of, you know, had this idea that like 50 was this magic number. And, and, and again, I see a lot of it variability. So it kind of grew to like 40 to 70. And, and I wouldn't say there's like a textbook that says that, or there's data to show that that's, that's the perfect amount. Because another thing people ask me all the time is what is the right dose for bone health, which is we don't have an answer, guys. If anyone told you they know the answer, we don't. Or it comes from Premarin or Prempro, which I bet you're not taking, right? So it kind of come from clinical experience and going back to getting labs, there's this funny part of there where for those women who love getting labs, I'm always like, well, good. Cause you know, I, I'm literally like, this is fun for me too. Cause like that allows me to start to actually basically, uh, it's gonna. I was going to say like experiment with my patients, but they're kind of letting me look at their blood work because they're interested in it too. And specifically again, where it's different is for those younger women. We touched on premature and early menopause briefly. And I'm telling you, I've got a lady, we just got her up to like 110. Um, she's like 41 and boom, finally she feels better. And I, and every time she'll go and get them, because I keep putting her on these high doses because we have to, we've got to get her therapeutic, but it's fun to because she's like, I love looking at my labs. And I'm like, well, great, because I'm putting you on some pretty good doses here. And we just got her to hit 110 picograms per ml. And she's like, I finally feel good. And so it serves multiple purposes. When my patients do get labs, they're also teaching me things and they're allowing you me to learn. Database. Yeah, I get my own little database from my patients and they they love it too. They're yeah. they're like, we're in this together, Heather. <laughs> I mean, no, thank you. I That makes perfect sense to me and I really appreciate that, that answer. So thank you. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Have you had any experience with any of the new candy neuromodulators like the Fezzalent? 
fizzle in a tent. Interestingly, I haven't, I have prescribed Vioza twice, which is the, which, yep. which is fezzolinant. Um, and I've yet to see them come back. So I still have very little clinical yep. experience, like an N of two compared to, you know, prescribing HRT is pretty, pretty small. Um, but I'm excited to see, cause I, I do feel as though, and I think, We've probably been talking for way too long at this point. So kudos if everyone's still listening. But, you know, clinical experience to me is is invaluable, invaluable in the way that I talk with my patients, the way that I treat my patients. And 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 I, I'm so lucky to have had all of this clinical experience that I kind of can tell the nuances between the gel and the patch and the pill and the creams and the this and the that. So, so sort of this thing applies with Vioza is I'm still sort of waiting to have 50 patients I've treated with it, you know? Yeah. Excellent. Well, we have, we've had had a very full conversation and I, <laughs> I, I could talk to you all day. I love, I, I this is such a great conversation, but I let's, let's just wrap it up and uh, tell me like, what are you most like, where do you see this in five years and, and what are you excited about? Yes. Um, um, so let me think about this. Uh, I think, um, so I think about this. I think about this a lot and I, I, I am working on something really cool. Um, I hmm. think what we need to do, and hopefully I can come back and talk to you about mm-hmm. that. You bet, you bet you can. <laughs> I think what we need to do we need to move from the educating to the transformation. So we need to we need to go from educating masses to giving more individualized support for people to make decisions. You are a perfect case. I wouldn't have even thought about that. Like you are a perfect case example of you were like, I interview experts all the time. I'm feeling really good. But like, sometimes I wonder if I'm doing the right thing, right? Which is crazy to like, I, I, and so I think we need to move away from just like the mass educating on social media, which was kind of the pandemic really accelerated that learning curve to now actually individualizing this for people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where I think we need to move, whether that means more doctors, more knowledge, technology, something, but we have to actually now help help each person make a decision that I, I always say you feel better, fits into your lifestyle, and you feel really confident about that part's really important. So how can we make people feel really confident about how they are going through menopause? So I think we need to basically expand from this rapid amount of education, which has been cool. Amazing. Again, the the questions people ask me now are just like a resident would ask me that, right? In training to though, like now actually making this make sense for the individual person. And I know that's like a very generic broad answer, but we need, we need to get more granular, just like you told me 20 minutes ago. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. What a we good are all conversation. Thank you so thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you so much for all of your advocating. You know, it's so great for women to hear so many different voices and and you know, people I, I'm so passionate about this. Like you can tell, like I don't I can't even like hold it back how passionate I am about midlife and late reproductive women's health care. But I think women are starting to realize they're 
there are more options for them, but then, then it kind of also seems like a little overwhelming, but I'd rather we have that problem than what we had 20 years ago, which was like, there's nothing for you. Sorry. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. And I look forward to this, this cryptic big thing that you have cooking up because we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about it. You got it. Well, that's our show. Next week, the feisty media team will be in Kona for the VinFast Ironman World Championship, which in case you missed it, is all women this year. We will be broadcasting a special live show next week, so you won't want to miss that. Definitely tune in and watch the women in Kona as well. It's going to be something incredibly, incredibly special. And, well, you'll hear from us next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.